Good morning. It's good to see you all again. It's good to be back in the United States. Um, I want to thank Michael Turner for covering while I was gone. Good job, Michael. I just got a text from him saying he was going to be a bit late. So I guess he's not here because he's a bit late. Oh, there he is. I thought I'd announce to everyone you were a bit late, Michael. <clears throat> Only fair. Well, if you have your Bible, open it to Isaiah chapter 43. And if you need a Bible, raise your hand and they will get you one. Taking a little break from 1 Corinthians. Uh, we'll be back to that next week. But I, as I was in Haiti the, the past 10 days... I was thinking of what I would want to share, what I was getting from my time there, um, our involvement with Haiti in the future. There's a number of things that we can do. I want to talk to our leadership first before uh, we actually present some things to you. But there are a number of areas where we hope to be involved in the future. And when I say we, I don't mean the royal we. I mean the actual we. I mean you and, and us together, opportunities for you to go to Haiti or to be involved in some manner. And so those things will be presenting. But as I was there, one of the things that struck me about the people and, and the things of Haiti was hope. Hope that you're going to make it through. Hope that things can be better. Hope for an opportunity to be able to connect with people, with, with the Lord. You know, one of the most difficult things for us as, as people is to get over incidents in our life where maybe we've been hurt very bad. Someone has, you know, hurt you. Maybe it was a relationship and someone broke that relationship, broke the trust. Maybe it was a physical ailment. Maybe it was a financial situation, a job. And there was an incredible hurt. And sometimes those things can paralyze us. We are just caught in that circumstance where we can't forget it. We can't let go of it. And, and it just hounds us constantly and it cripples us. And we are like walking wounded. And it takes time to regroup and get over those incidents and get our lives on track. But... They need to move forward. And there are other times where sometimes we get stuck in the past. Maybe it's the glory days. I remember that time when I was in the band and we played at that club and everyone gave us a standing ovation. Yeah, dude, that was 30 years ago. You need to let it go. I used to work at a music store, a guitar store. And I remember there was this awakening that happened to me one time sitting there and I was still in high school at the time. I was, I think I was a senior. I might have been 16, 17. I don't know how old I was, but I was in high school. And I remember these guys coming into the store and these guys had long hair on the sides, but they were bald on the top. <laughs> and they were in a band and they were great musicians. They were great. 
but they were still playing the clubs. They'd always come in and they're going, yeah, man, I so-and-so from, you know, this record, this promoter is going to be there. And, oh, yeah, this is our break, man. This is our chance to really make it big. And these guys would come in every week, different guys, but the same story. We're going to make it big. We're going to make it big. And I just kind of saw this future that I didn't want to be mine. It's like, I don't want to be that guy hoping to be the rock star when I'm 40 years old and realizing it's just not going to happen. And they get stuck in this moment of the past and they just never are able to move past those glory days and their lives are just trapped. And in Isaiah chapter 43, God is speaking to the nation of Israel we're going to key on verse 16, but I kind of want to start at verse 14 to give us a little momentum going in there. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 14, and it says, This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake I will send to Babylon and bring down as, I will send to Babylon and bring down as fugitives all the Babylonians in the ships in which they took pride. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your king. This is what the Lord says, he who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there, never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Yet you have not called upon me, O Jacob. You have not wearied yourself for me, O Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not bought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins, and wearied me with your offenses. When I think about not only the past 10 days in Haiti, but I think about my life. I think all of us can look back and see great things that have happened and horrible things that have happened within our lives. Things that you dwell upon, you would say, this is great. And it might even be the last week. If I were to say, how was your last week? Well, if you focus on this one thing, it was terrible. If you focus on this one thing, it was great. And our lives are that kind of dichotomy. And, and Haiti, there's those kinds of things that took place. I, I could talk about, you know, in fact, some of you have asked me just in this time, you know, what were the worst things? What were the best things? You know, if I were to focus on some of the worst things, well, I, I got five showers in 10 days and only one with hot water. You know, that, that wasn't the good part of Haiti. And, and the water pressure wasn't really there. You know, I mentioned in one of my postings that I had a pillow that felt like a hundred Beanie Babies were stuffed into, a, you know, a pillowcase. You know, I, 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 there were those kinds of things. I, I missed Mexican food. Uh, I, I didn't enjoy some of those things. You know, the, the, you 
guys know how we have double ply toilet paper and single ply? Well, in Haiti, they have half ply. I, <laughs> don't know how to explain it, but you, you could see through it. Uh, there are things where if I were to just focus on those things, you know, the, the stomach ailments and those kinds of things, I could say, boy, Haiti was just a terrible time. But then there are other incidences that took place. I got to experience a time of worship with this group down in this town called Seville that was unreal. This young lady led worship, and I didn't understand most of the words. I understood amen and hallelujah. Every now and then I'd catch those, but they worshiped for about an hour straight. And... They were dancing, and it was this commutative worship that I had never seen before. Now, i got to tell you, I've been to worship conferences where there's been a thousand worship leaders. And they've been, we've been led by Chris Tomlin, Matt Redman, Paul Belosh, Lincoln Brewster, some of the biggest names in the industry, and I've been in this crowd of worship leaders, and I've had three-part harmonies going on all around me, and the excitement that was there, and it's been overwhelming, but I've never seen a community of worship like what took place in this place, where the kids, the young adults, the older men and women were all singing, they were all kind of dancing and into it, and it was unreal. I was able to give a gift to a young boy that was donated for him, and it was a guitar. Gil, you have that picture there. This young boy, I was able to give him a guitar. And I don't know if you could see the smile on his face, but it lasted the whole time that we were there. Being able to give him that guitar, and then I was able to actually teach him guitar lessons, a few of them for a while. Even though we didn't speak English, we could follow the fingers and those things. And I could tell you that if I think of these moments, Haiti was an amazing event. There was one time where we all gathered together in the morning to eat breakfast. And as we sat there at the table, I was there with the other people. And there was probably 10 of us that were there. And this young boy, they call him T. Gasson, which means little man. His story is that his father had died years ago. And his mother was working for Genot, who is the priest for the, uh, the church there, the Episcopal church in that region. And his mother was working for him while his mother also died and left him basically an orphan. And Jeannot had taken him in, and so now he is living with the family. Can you imagine the fear that would grip your heart as a young boy living in this country when your mother dies and you find out your mother is dead and you wonder what's going to happen? If I'm correct, his mother died at home, right, Denise? And they didn't, he was there at home when his mother died, and then they went and found the incident. And so they brought him in. And so this young boy, he's now 13 years old. He's a part of this family now. And this is his background. And so being able to give him this guitar, teach him guitar lessons. And I'm sitting at the table. We're sitting for breakfast, going to eat our, our traditional breakfast food that we had, which toast and some eggs and beets. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think it was beets for breakfast, and it wasn't bad. The food wasn't bad. It's just, you know, it was made a little different, but then I'm used to. 
Um, but it was actually good. The food was very good. Goat is very good. There was a lot of goat, and it was good. Um, but anyway, I'm getting past the point. Sitting at the table with all these people, and T. Gasson is there in the kitchen. The door opens up, and he sees me, and his face lights up. And he walks past everyone and comes right to me and gives me a hug. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> those kind of moments, if I look back, those things just capture me. And I think what a great opportunity and what a great privilege it was to be a part of this young man's life and to see the things that were taking place and to help in the things that were done there. And so there were some incredible things as I saw incredible things taking place. It just depends on what you're focusing on. And Israel is facing a new challenge in this passage here. They have been slaves forever. They were slaves to Egypt. They were slaves to the Babylonians. They were slaves to the Persians. They became slaves to the Romans. I mean, you look at the history of Israel, and it's this momentary opportunities of freedom, but basically they were enslaved, and this is God's people. And you think, oh my gosh, here are God's people, and yet their history is marked by this slavery. And what a tragedy that would be. But you see, God held them to a higher standard. God desired and demanded more from them so that he could do more in them, and he expected more from them so that they would be the people that they needed to be. You see, the Babylonians, they got away with these things. The Assyrians, they got away with these things. God didn't require the same things from them as he did the children of Israel because what God was saying, I want you to be the pen with which I write history. And because of that, I am going to mold and shape you to better represent me. And they would say, well, God, we're, we're doing better than them why do we have to suffer persecution? We believe in you sometimes. We obey you for the most part. We're doing so-so. I tried to teach the kids hang loose in Haiti. They didn't get it. Uh, we're, we're trying. They just tilted their heads and looked at me. But anyway, we are trying to do these things, God, but, you know, why do we get this persecution? And again, God is saying, I, I want to take you and you are the pen in which I'm going to write human history. And I believe God is saying the same thing to us. He says, I want to mold and shape you to be the pen with which I write human history. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. In other words, you are to illuminate to all mankind the truth of who I am, the story of God that is being played out and I need you to be that writing instrument. And so I'm requiring more of you. I'm expecting more from you because I desire more for you. And so the, the nation finds themselves in this position where they're captive by Babylon. They're in this place where all they could do was remember what God had done in the past. And in verse 16, he says, 
This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again, extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. That sounds very poetic, but what is he talking about? Well, he's talking about the time that God delivered the nation from Egypt. And throughout the scriptures, there's this constant word that takes place over and over again. Remember, remember when I did this. Remember when I delivered you from Egypt. Remember when I provided bread from heaven. Remember when I provided the meat in the wilderness. Remember when I provided water from the rock. Remember these things. Remember these things. Remember. And so they were caught into this time. Do you remember when God did this work for us? Yes, we remember. But you see, what had taken place is their relationship with God became a memory. Something that had happened at some time in the past. I remember that time when God did this work in our lives, but that was years ago. And I think that happens to us many a times. We, we get to this place where we remember the time when we said that prayer. We remember the time when God answered that prayer or did this work or used us in this way. And it's something that took place, but it was years ago. I shared a few Thursdays back that I don't want my life to ever be telling stories about what God did years ago. I need new stories in my life. I need God to still be God and still be alive because I don't want to just talk about the glory days. I remember when I used to be able to do this. I could throw a ball this fast, and I could climb without losing my breath and and those kinds of things. And the nation of Israel remembered the glory of what had happened the things that God had done, and this was thematic for them. This was their theme, remember, remember, remember. They remembered God so much that they thought that was the last and best moment that they had. And I wonder if many of us are in a place where we remember those times where we felt the presence of God, the the power of His Spirit within our lives, and that was the last and best moment that we've had. And it was in the past. And it's something that is distant. Now they're in captivity. Now they're in bondage. The Babylonians have taken them over. All they could do is remember what God had done, but they couldn't see what God wanted to do. And again, that challenges us. Do you only remember what God has done, and are you failing to see what God can do? I think of marriages. And how difficult marriage can be. And I know with Corrine and myself, we have had some difficult years. We have had our wilderness journey. We have had our seven years of the great tribulation in the wilderness of marriages. Where things have just been difficult. For her, for me. Where I had lost a job and was working two jobs hoping to make ends meet to provide for our four kids. And she 
was stressed because of the finances, stressed because I was never there, because she had four little kids that she was basically raising by herself. And I used to call home just to hear how her voice sounded to know what I was coming home to. I'd say, hello? And sometimes I'd get, what? I was like, oh no, it's going to be one of those nights. Or else I'd get, hi, hon, how are you? It's like, yes, I'm on my way, you know. <laughs> Just difficult times. And I know some of you have been through those things. Some of you have gone through even harder times, maybe a divorce, maybe the loss of someone you love. There, there has been moments that have impacted your life where you see yourself in the bondage of that moment and you've never gotten out of it. You are stuck there. And you don't see that the God who delivered the children of Israel in Egypt is the same God now in Babylon, is the same God who wants to deliver you where you're at right now. He is still God and he still works and he still does the miraculous. You know, I've always heard people say when they've gone to either Africa or foreign places, people walk for miles just to go to church. It's like, yeah, okay, that doesn't mean a whole lot to me. I drive miles, you know. It's like, what? So uh, they, they've gone all this. But what took place there is I got to actually see they do walk for miles. We traveled to this one region where we had to drive by a car and it had to be a four-wheel drive because you had this bumpy road that was a rocky road and then you needed four-wheel drive because it was basically too much treacherous terrain to be able to get there just on a regular vehicle. And then the road ended. And then we had to hike down into the village, about an hour's hike. It wasn't as bad hiking down as it was hiking up. And we had to take everything with us. Now, I, all I had to do was take my backpack, but we took a generator, speaker cabinets that were about this big, had to weigh 115 pounds. I didn't carry them. These other guys did. Power amps that got put on donkeys and marched into this village, an hour down this village, where there was nothing. There was a hut and this kind of canopy that was made out of leaves. And that was it. And then they put the generator in one place. They got all this wire, red and white, so you knew which one plugged in where. And they plugged them in the generator. They stuck the wire in the outlets of the generator. Yeah, OSHA was not there to supervise. And then they ran the wire up and they made four light bulbs that they plugged in that illuminated the place. And that was basically what we had. It powered the, the speaker as well. And the, had a little mixer there. And that's what provided the sound and the festivities because there was a wedding that night and then there was a, a party that went till midnight. Um, but people came from all the villages because of the wedding and because the priest was going to be there. You know. And they wanted to be a part of the festivities. And what I began to to go over in my mind was that people don't just walk two hours to go to church. This isn't trying to put some guilt trip, like how far have you gone to go to church? I bet you haven't walked, you know, 
miles to get to church in the hot sun. People don't come just to go to church. People come because there is hope to connect with other people. There is the idea of celebration. They desire something to take place. Their time together. And so there is hope that takes place. And you see, when there is hope involved, you will travel around the world if you can find and I saw that in this nation that has been devastated with the earthquake, with disease, with poverty, there is still hope that pushes them forward to want to do more, to want to be involved, to want to see things take place. There are people who are doing incredible things, building hospitals, schools, doing a lot of work that is beautiful and incredible and just very impressive work. Because there is the hope that this will make a difference. And when you have that hope, you'll step into that. Well, what if we could recognize that there is a hope in God that when we come together or when we search the scriptures or when we get down and we pray that God is going to hear us, that he is going to answer, that he is going to continue what he's begun, that his work is not going to stop, but is going to move forward. What if we had that hope? And I guess the question is, do we have that hope? Or is our faith something that happened in the past but is not something that is present and working out within us now? Because it needs to be something that is productive, constructive, developing, taking place. He goes on in verse 19. Or first, verse 18. It says, Forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. But you've told us to remember. What are you, having a bad day? What's going on, God? I mean, you, you told us to remember, and now you're telling us to forget? Well, it's good to build on the past. We need to learn from the past, but it's not good to be trapped in the past. And so we need to build on the things. We need to learn from our mistakes. It's been said that insanity is doing the same thing over and over and over again and expecting different results. Okay, we've got to learn from our mistakes. We've got to learn from the past, but we can't live in the past. So forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. Verse 19, it says, See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm doing something new. Are you aware of it? Do you know that something new is taking place? Do you know that God is here with you even though you're in Babylon, you're in this position of bondage that God is doing a new thing, but all you're doing is remembering what has happened in the past. Oh man, when it was in Egypt, God delivered us. God did such amazing things. He parted the water. He delivered us from the Egyptian army. They were swallowed up by the sea. It was an amazing event, but now here we are in bondage. And God is saying, I'm doing something. Do you perceive it? Are you aware of what I'm doing here among you? He goes on and he says, I am making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and the owls, because I provide water in the desert 
and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen. You see, now I'm doing something new. I, I parted the waters because there were waters to be parted, but you're in a desert now. That doesn't translate well. I'm not going to part no waters in the desert. So quit looking for me to do what I did back then because I'm doing something different. Now I'm going to bring waters within the desert. I'm going to provide for you in the place where you're at. I am doing something here in this place where you consider desolate. I am bringing life to this wasteland. And maybe your life is a time, a place where you're feeling this is just a wasteland. I have no hope. I have no future. The things I had when I was a child, back when things were good, back when this time, whatever it was, you're caught in the past and you're not seeing God saying, do you perceive that I'm still God? Do you understand that what I have done, I continue to do and I can do in you? That there is always hope if you are living with me. And God is doing a new work, something that they were unaware of. Stop looking for him to do what he did before. You're not the same place. He's bringing streams in the desert, water to refresh you in the place where you're at. And sometimes God pushes us to this place where we find ourselves stretched thin and weak and wondering how we're going to get forward and how we're going to move our lives to a, a, a better place. And how can things be better when they're so difficult? There's a gentleman named Billy Reed. He's a designer. And he's become one of the most influential voices in our culture, but he wasn't always a designer. In fact, in one year, he went from playing football to becoming a designer and the most influential person in our culture. I know, football to a designer. You know, it's like football, you don't have design in football. You know, you wear the colors they give you and that's it. But by a, a series of circumstances, he got moved to a different place and then his life took on a whole new direction and became more influential. But what would have happened if he would have said, no, I play football. I don't design. He listened to his mother, by the way. That just, for those of you mothers out there, listen to your mom. She said, you should go into this. But what if he said, no, that's not what I do. I'm not, that's not what I'm used to. That, that's not what I'm comfortable in. That's not my expertise. I believe many times that God is pushing us to places that are a little uncomfortable for us because he wants to produce something better in us. And we resist because we like to be comfortable. We resist because change makes us uneasy. And whenever someone presents something new to you, it's like, oh, why are we doing that? Maybe even like Thursday nights we're going to have dinner. Dinner, that's kind of weird. That's a little too personal. I don't want to know you that well, you know. 
something that just kind of pushes us to a place where it makes us a little awkward, a little uncomfortable feeling. But unless we move, we're going to get stuck in the past. And one of my fears has been to be stuck in this life that I have following Christ, for it to become routine. And the reason I fear that is because that's happened to me in the past. And I was doing good things. It wasn't like I was out sinning and doing evil. I was doing the right stuff over and over and over again, but it was the same stuff. There was no life. It was just a repetition of ongoing work. And pretty soon it became automatic. This is what I do. This is how I do it. This is it. And when God shook me and said, I want more from you, and he kind of spoke into my heart and disturbed me a little bit, I was like, so what do you want? And then, you know, he's supposed to answer, right? But he doesn't. You know, God says, I want more. Okay, what? I said, what? And then you're groping, trying to find the what. And through a series of very difficult things, as well as a series of very beautiful things, God began doing work within me, pushing me. And I remember thinking, God, don't ever let me get to that place where I become stagnant water that's not useful to quench anybody's thirst. Don't ever let my life become something that doesn't produce life. And, and so I'm, I'm willing to step forward and into areas that are uncomfortable for me. And, and the, our journey to Haiti was an, a little bit of a step for me, a little uncomfortable, not because of Haiti itself and the discomforts of being there, partially because of the people that we were going and journeying with, and not that they were bad people, it's just they were people I weren't used to. Some of you already are thinking, he mentioned a priest, you know, what are you, he, being involved with the Episcopal Church. I, I was riding in a car with a bunch of priests, men and women, and I was talking to them. I had some great dialogue with them, and I got some great friendships with them, but I was out of my comfort zone. but I was being taken to a place that I believed was going to be useful for me. I didn't change my belief. I didn't become someone else. I was just working in an area that was stretching me, was leading me to a deeper and further area. In fact, it was kind of funny. I was in this car for two and a half hours riding, and our ride was not just riding. We're like, you know, for two and a half hours, you know. I mean, we really got to bond with these people because you're, you know, one time you're sitting down, next time you're sitting on their lap, you know. Hi, how's it going? There's, but we were traveling with these people, and as I was talking to them, and, and here I was talking to, there were two priests in the car, and I was asking about their journey of faith and what it looked like, and they asked me mine. I said, okay, you asked for it. And I told them what it was like, and I shared with them. And I, after I said this, I said, I can't believe I said that. But 
I said, well, you know, I, I believe the scriptures teach that there's no such thing as ordained and non-ordained believers, but there is a priesthood of all believers. And the car got really quiet, you know. <laughs> and they're like, but anyway, so. <sighs> but you know what? I was willing to step into a place that years ago I never would have been willing to step. It didn't change who I was or what I believe, but it helped me to be involved in areas where I never would have been involved and to do good, I believe, in areas where I never would have been able to do had I not been willing to take that step. And sometimes those steps are uncomfortable for us because they move us to a place that's new for us. And God's saying, I'm doing a work here. Do you perceive it? Do you understand what I'm doing? Yeah, I, I parted the waters back then, but there's no waters to be parted here. In fact, right now there's no waters at all. And what I'm doing now is I'm bringing streams in this desert, in this wasteland. Do you perceive it? Will you be a part of it? Will you move forward? Or are you going to be stuck in the past? And, and I guess the challenge for us and my challenge to you is the challenge that God has been placing on me is God wants us to move towards hope. And hope isn't always glamorous. Sometimes hope is a journey through the wilderness for miles. You know, breathing isn't glamorous, but it's necessary. And you can't live on your last breath. You have to continue breathing. We can't live on our last exploits. We have to continue exploring and pressing on and doing things. And so we at Genesis, we can't wait for the future to come or we'll wait forever. We need to step into the future that God is leading us in by faith so that the journey can be one that is filled with faith and the presence of God. But faith is not a comfortable thing. Faith is a scary thing. Faith is uncertainty. Faith is inability presented with obstacles and then reliance on the God that you don't see who tells you little bits. Yeah, I want to do more. Like what? I'll tell you when you get there. You see, for me to tell you more, you have to take that first step. And when you take that first step, I'll tell you the next step. When you take that step, I'll tell you the next after that. But I'm not going to give you the whole plan. You need to keep coming to me. You need to keep trusting to me. And, and so I'm asking you to join me and listening to the inaudible, to, to following after that which we cannot see and entrusting that which we are not able to fully know. I'm asking you to join me in this journey of faith and where it will lead us as a community. I used to wear this bracelet. I went to a conference, a mosaic conference, and the bracelet said, I choose insanity. And it was taken from Acts chapter 26 where Paul went before Felix, the governor, and Felix said, Paul, you are insane. All your studying of Jesus has made you insane. 
And Paul said, Felix, I wish everyone was like me except for these bonds that I'm in. And the theme was, choose insanity. If everyone else thinks you're crazy to believe in God and have faith in God, then I choose insanity. And so I had this bracelet because it was a reminder to me, Sam, you need to be willing to step out in faith and to take those steps. And while we were in Haiti, the Lord impressed on me, you need to give this away. There was a few people who looked at the bracelet and they tapped on it like they wanted it. And I said, no, you can't have that. That's mine. (laughs) And so then at one point, the Lord said, "I I want you to give that to T. Gasson, the young boy. And so one dinner we sat down and I had worked with him on guitar, I think, or was about to, and I had Jeannot, who is caring for him now. I said, can you translate something for me? And he said, yeah. And so I brought Gasson there and I, I took the bracelet and I told him what it said and I explained to him about the story of Paul. And I said, I hope that you will choose to believe God when it seems insane. when you've lost everything, that you will choose to believe that God can provide everything you need. I hope you will choose to live the insane life of faith and following after the God who is here now doing something and that you will be able to perceive it. And I put it on his wrist. And I wasn't sure what he thought, you know, okay, who's this guy telling me to be insane? I don't know, crazy white man. (laughs) But the next day he was wearing it. And he wore it as I saw him go off to school. And my prayer for him is my prayer for you, is my prayer for myself. That we would believe the ridiculous because we believe in the God of impossibilities who is doing a new work and that we would perceive that work that's taking place among us now. My prayer for us is that we would step into this and we would trust him and we would not be afraid, that we'd put what's behind us and what's taken, taken place behind us, we'd use it, build our lives on it, learn from it, but not be stuck in it not be stuck in the hurt, not be stuck in what used to be, but move on into what God is doing because he wants to do a new work and he wants to do it through us. Let's pray. Father, you have new stories to write in our hearts. You have new things that need to be done And maybe some of us need first to let go of the past. We need to let go of the memories that have paralyzed us, the hurts that have debilitated us, have wounded us. Need to leave the the traditions that have stagnated us. And we need to move forward into what you're doing now. We need that story to continue in our lives. We need to 
take those steps and those chances of faith to trust you for what you can do now. In spite of the circumstances, the bondage, the captivity that we're in, may we perceive that you are doing something new. And may we be willing to accept it and move with you in it. Lord, I pray that you would set us free from the past and that you give us eyes to see the invisible, ears to hear the inaudible, and a heart to believe in you regardless of our circumstances. We trust in you and we love you, Lord. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.